0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: My name is Adam Homy. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show comes to you from my sumptuous... Balcony Recording Studio here in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, the hottest city in America. Yes, we're sitting outside and I'm using a headset on a laptop. You may occasionally hear a bird chirping. You may hear a leaf blower. You may hear a car driving by in the distance. But think about it. When you're sitting in a place where you're that third person sitting in on a private mastermind session and you're following rapidly, The intersections of brilliance and passion of the people at the table with you, where they become inspired by each other's stories, case studies, tales, and relations in terms of how they relate things that have happened to them previously, along with citations of what they have achieved and what they're planning to achieve. What environment are you in? Are you in a restaurant? Are you in a tavern? Are you in a cigar shop? Are you at the country club? Are you sitting out in an outdoor cafe? Is it somewhere in the lounge outside the conference room at a seminar? We are a From the Field podcast, and we want you to feel like you too are in the field making it happen. So have your pad of paper and two pens out as you capture those aha moments that will naturally arise and give you the slight edge in your business. And today, we're going to have a conversation about the challenges of entrepreneurship And we're going to have a really interesting approach to this. To take us down a path that we have not quite seen before, I have with us Christine Hansen, who is an award-winning business coach and consultant running a boutique service for online entrepreneurs, creatives, and coaches who want to embrace their inner lazy. I love that. Embrace their inner lazy. Profit like a pro. I love that too. And add philanthropists to their list of credentials without ever undercharging Or feeling like they have to be anyone but themselves again. Oh, there's a reason why this show is audio only. Because I'm already pacing up and down the balcony doing the raise the roof gesture. She combines smart strategy and deep soul work. So you can grow and scale a business you love. She's a sought after TEDx France and keynote speaker. A contributor entrepreneur. And her work has been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, National Geographic, and more. Well, let me tell you, that is a broad range of outlets. Christine Hansen, come on in weather's
2: fine (laughs) hi i am feeling it because over here i'm in luxembourg europe it's drizzling and cold and miserable so i'm with you on that balcony
1: (laughs) yeah yeah where did you say you're physically located right now
2: luxembourg europe so one of the smallest yeah one of the smallest countries in the world you know, I you
1: know I, I haven't made it to Europe yet, but when I go to Europe, my plan is to take a tour of the microstates, such as the Principality of Andorra, and I can't really roll my troll my tongue, so I can't say it right. Then there's Luxembourg, Liechtenstein. Uh, you have Monaco, you mm-hmm. have uh, the Vatican,
2: and mm-hmm. there's a co-
1: and oh yeah, and the most serene Republic of San Marino. Exactly. And I want to go to these little places and just find out what their secret is that enabled them. <laughs> to avoid being absorbed by all the reunification movements of the 19th and 20th centuries. And, and if the international situation permits, and I have enough money to bribe my way in, I want to check out Transnistria just for fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you for that. But yes. If you need a guide, you let me know. I'll show you around.
1: I might have to expedite the timing of this trip in that case. <laughs> All right. So before we dive in, and I know you have a few really interesting stories you want to tell us that I already know in advance are going to resonate with me particularly. Tell us a bit in your own words about your own journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators <laughs> from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion is you make a difference for your community, market, and audience as you find yourself naturally becoming so good that you can merge several of your own taglines in one sentence. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So uh, it's definitely not a straightforward one, but I think that is actually rarely the case. Um, And I come to terms that I'm kind of a serialpreneur or a drifter, and I'm pretty sure I won't be doing this for another 10 years either. And, you know, whereas before I might have thought that's a little bit flaky, now I'm really going with it. I'm really enjoying it. So I grew up in a very traditional academic background, and I was also my main job or my longest career, so let's put it that way, was in academia. And um, interestingly, I always want to explain this because I think it's kind of important, but in Luxembourg, we have, well, we speak Luxembourgish, which is like our own language, sounds a little bit like German, Dutch, something with French words in there. And um, in Luxembourg, an entrepreneur is actually someone who is more of someone who does buildings, like big building projects. So when someone talks about an entrepreneur, that's what we think about. It's not a small business owner or someone who creates a business. And even though I studied in the UK, I studied literature, I never really came that much about entrepreneurship. Shakespeare didn't really talk much about it. So... I didn't know that I was a born entrepreneur or that I would enjoy it so much. And then when I discovered it it was actually when I was pregnant with my daughter and I looked up how to get that baby that would arrive to sleep as quickly as possible. Uh-huh. Cuz I love my sleep super important to me and I was like okay let's hack our way through this cuz I'm not a baby person I had no clue. And then after she was born we did all of that it was great. Um the company that I had downloaded an ebook from Actually, in their newsletter, they were talking about becoming a certified baby sleep consultant. And it was something I had never thought about. And I clicked on that button. And now today, I know that it was just a very good persuasive sales page. But at the time, I had no idea. I was completely new to the online world. And they drew that beautiful picture, you know, of having your own business, how much money you could make. And it all made sense to me. And here in Luxembourg and even in Europe in general, baby sleep consultants are not a thing. It's really not something that's the norm or that's even known. And I was there. I was just inflamed, so to say, like I was ignited by, Just this idea of doing my own thing, which now I know is entrepreneurship. So I started with baby sleep consultant with my first business, which was Sleep Like a Baby. Turns out I really don't like babies apart from my own. So that (laughs) after a year, we just decided to let that go. Again, felt very flaky, but I knew that I had to do that. And I pivoted to Sleep Like a Boss, which is my second company, which I still have. I'm still a founder and I have a team that's basically taking over now. But it took me a good one, two years to really hone down the formula of the business that we are now doing for insomniacs, working holistically and scientifically, and Throughout those four or five years, though, I really realized that I enjoyed building the business a lot more than actually the scientific work of sleep. And that is why I decided to franchise it out, you know, to have my team take over my clients. And I was just responsible for business building. And then a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to do a business coaching mastermind with her for a year for health coaches only. And we decided to do that because we really realized that selling health is quite tricky um, because it's something that people really like to push down the road. And even now, no matter what your stance is on the virus and what you have going on, whatever it is, you always have kind of the quick fixes and you also have prevention and long-term, you know, fixes. Like it's kind of like plastic surgery versus going on a six-month long diet, you know. So it's yeah. sometimes more difficult to sell. And after that year, I just knew this is what I really want to do. I love marketing. I love coaching. So helping people with their mindset, helping them understand who they are, what they want to do. And I like consulting. It's not the same thing. I also like the strategy, offering them different options and then investigating which one is right with them. And through my experience, there are quite a few options (laughs) that I now know, some that work better, some that work less well depending on who you are and how you tick though and that's where I'm now so Christine Means Business is really what I'm living and breathing right now.
1: Yeah and I know a lot of folks that go through this whole thing of well I'm going to try this business and I'm going to try this variation of this business and I went through about four or five different iterations Before I landed at the podcast reach system, which is my primary business at this point, works with entrepreneurs to launch your podcast, your key networking, client attraction, celebrity expert branding tool. Who knows? Maybe I'll change again in three years. But Mm -hmm. I feel differently about this one than I felt about anything I've ever done before. And the differentiator for me anyway, is that this foray is something I did of my own volition. Because mm-hmm. it's something that really excites me and I really enjoy that I'm really good at and can deliver in a way that, in my opinion, nobody else can, at least quite the way I do it. Exactly. Whereas I think so. all my other things were somebody said, Oh, there's money to be made in this, or hey, I can get you some referrals on this, uh, or somebody saw me do it once and came up with this idea that I was in business doing that. And next thing you know, my calendar is full. <laughs>
2: Which is a nice problem to have, though. But yeah. yes, I do. Sometimes it is. <laughs> exactly. Sleep Like a Boss was a little bit like that. It's still a very popular company, but it's just not enlightening me or not just as yeah, lighting me up, rather. Um, so I didn't want to let it go, which is why I handed it over to someone else to keep it alive, you know, and they obviously enjoy it. Um, and that was also something that I hadn't thought about before, you know, instead of just letting it die, sounding very tragic, but just saying, OK, I'm going to drop this business, that there are actually options to keep it alive. But with different people that you can sell a company um, all of those things, I never really thought about before. Um, that works really well now. So I'm really, really happy about it. The other thing that I wanted to say, though, is that sometimes it's also really if you know that you can do something, sometimes it just doesn't work for all different reasons. Um, And one part of my business is travel experiences. And I wanted to start that in 2020. (laughs) And uh, so it's been two years and three postponements, the the latest one now because of a new variant of our beloved pandemic, that I really had to come to terms that I need to push these things back and replace that Excitement with something else without resentment. So there are all these different things that will just happen on this journey.
1: That's a funny thing: is you're going to have these variations in your journey. You're going to have wrenches thrown in it. So <laughs> in your case, you were looking to do a travel business right when a pandemic hit. Well, yeah. Here, here's here's what ha- here's what happened to me, and uh, and uh, and I'm not getting political here, but I'm just reporting things that happened. I came up with this idea of around the summer of 2012 to create something called a Business Builders Institute. Mm-hmm. Well, right around the summer of uh, 2012 is when President Obama made that statement during a press conference where he said to entrepreneurs, you didn't build that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so. Imagine what that does to search engine results. Uh, oh, no. Do you, do, you know, do you know how many people all of a sudden uh, proclaim themselves to be business builders? Yeah. So Business Builders Institute was going to get buried under a tsunami. So what could I do? I had this whole framework ready to go. I uh, The pre-launch sequence was going to be a series of teleseminars. This back in the day when teleseminars were still a thing. Yes. <laughs> And uh, and I had some really great guests, one of whom was a top 40 Gram-made, Grammy-nominated mainstream musician. And uh, what am I going to do? Am I going to have to call this off? And I thought, oh, see, business builders, the this, thesaurus.com, business creators. There we go. <laughs> and so I did some searching on that. There were no trademark or copyright holds on it. And I could differentiate it from all that stuff about you didn't build that, and business builders, and building your business, and everything else that was going on out there. So I just simply renamed it. That's it. Yeah. And and that some... was and that was my pivot. Sometimes the pivot is that simple. And I. And one of my favorite stories is that app developer who wanted to put something on the Apple store, but the name of the app sounded too much like iPod. And uh, somehow the person got a hold of Steve Jobs directly and wrote this long email pleading their case. And Jobs replied, change your app's name, not that big of a deal.
0: I mean,
1: mean, we all come up with pivots. The, The one that I told you about that happened with me was a name change so that I could rise in search engine results. And from the Business Creators Institute, we spun off the Business Creators Radio Show, which everybody is listening to right now. Uh, mm-hmm. With that app, they just changed the name. And with you, uh, well, I don't know what, what happened. I mean, the fact that people are going to be hanging out closer to the homestead, uh, they were getting more sleep so they could go back to sleeping like a boss. What was the deal?
2: I literally just decided to... Postpone it in my brain for now, and it's just to really trust. This is happening at exactly the right time. Last year, I tried to really stick to a postponement date, whereas this time I'm just like, no, even though you know deposits have been paid, I'm just like, let's just literally not even push it back till the end of the year, but into twenty twenty three. And I shifted my whole vibe around planning, actually, because so many wrenches, as you said before, were thrown into my way last year that really took a lot of energy. So this year, I'm really more sticking to a month by month kind of plan and even non plan. So I have short term goals. And I will just for a lot of things like some of my structures are just in place. And they work on autopilot. So that's, Always great for consistency, for staying, you know, relevant. But whatever I'm focusing on, I'm um, this year, I actually don't much have a clue yeah. <laughs> and it's the first year that I'm actually enjoying that, that I'm actually letting that happen and just say, okay, I have my goal for, This month, we are now January 2022, I'm launching my book this month, that's where my focus is going to go. And then things happen, and I can respond to whatever happens and focus again on a new direction. So it's something different this year. Usually, I have the year mapped out with around four to five milestones that I build around and this year I haven't so it's a little bit different from what I usually teach even my clients so I'm I'm excited I'm curious about how it's going to pan out and I think that's also one thing entrepreneurship is all about it's about being curious about trying things having some solid systems in place because you can't just wing it all the time Um, but also letting go a little bit of that rigidity that we grow up with traditionally I would say
1: Yeah. So again, it comes to pivoting, flexibility, and being open to new explorations. I've said so many times on the show, I went through a three-year period where I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I had a business, I had clients, I had some work that I was enjoying doing. But I didn't know what I wanted to grow or what I wanted to really expand. So I didn't really do any marketing other than every week, another episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. I eventually mm-hmm. found my way to podcasting, which has been a blessing and a joy. But I went through three years of that. And even before we uh, got off at the podcasting train station, <laughs> I ended up creating my baby, my book, Groundhog Days: an Event, Not a Business Strategy. And how did I do it? Somebody made a random comment on my Facebook wall one morning that they loved dropping by my wall to see what it, whatever it was that I was ranting about, celebrating <laughs> about, pontificating about. And they said, it's nice. Have, I, I really enjoy my subscription to the Daily Adam.
2: That's so All cool. Right?
1: So here I am searching again, and there are about a thousand Daily Atoms. So let's see. Okay, thesaurus.com, daily morning, morning Adam. Okay, I only found one morning Adam and he was dormant. So uh, there were no (laughs) copyright or trademark holds. Starting to see a pattern here. And I create a blog called the morning Adam. It's currently deactivated, uh, but I had it up for a while and I reserved the right to reactivate it anytime. The purpose of it was very simply is. Anything that I ranted about on either of my social media platforms that I thought could be transformed into a blog post, or when I got into a discussion group and some topic got me really hot and bothered, and I just wrote out an epic contribution that I thought would make a great blog post and stuff about my cats, I uh, put it on there. Once a day for 90 days, that was a commitment. There was no specific marketing goal. There was no specific prospective client avatar. This was just me being me for 90 days.
2: I love that. And at the
1: end of the 90 days, I went back, uh, went into that WordPress site again and organized the post into these things called categories, which every WordPress user knows about. Categories. Okay. Back to the sars.com category. Chapters. Yes. So they became the foundation of the groundhog book.
0: Yeah.
2: And that's how it goes. I mean, and I I found my
1: way to being able to articulate what the hell it is I do for a living and want to do for a living simply by expressing it free form in bit size pieces.
2: Exactly. And that's how We Mean Business, the book that I'm writing right now or launching right now came about. It's actually an interview series from a podcast that I ran for two years with my business associate. And so we took that knowledge, or I mainly took, because I wrote it on my own or took it on my own and just personified it, made sure it aligned with me. Some interviews are literally transcribed and edited so that it's easier to read. And that, I think, is something that's sometimes overlooked. We have so much ready. And also what I liked about what you said is something that triggered you, you know, that made you happy or made you sad or angry, upset, or just was weird and one thing that I start this year is actually called the Super Secret podcast <laughs> and it's literally it's designed to be a place for entrepreneurs to kind of not confess but to talk about the things that we're not supposed to talk about you know so for example oh. self doubt if you had a launch and you're already seen as a successful person and your launch totally tanked and the thoughts that come up and this is the place where you can actually talk about it or when you have a successful business and i see that a lot happening with my my higher level clients who have really successful businesses but suddenly they don't enjoy it anymore because let's say they start they started it with a certain group of people and then at some point they outgrow them but they owe their success to that group still so it feels really horrible to resent them or to just not feel, you know, happy about it anymore. Especially if it's going well, you can't really complain because you know you're financially doing so well. So people would say, "How dare you complain?" You know, there's so many people who need jobs or who are worried right now. You have everything you want and still you're not happy enough, but this is supposed to be a place, you know, where you can talk about these things without being judged and getting support. And I feel there's something about that, you know, honing and fostering communities like that, where you just talk, where you vent, where you just don't overthink it. That is something that makes this internet place a really nice place. It can be a horrible event as well, or area, But this can turn it again into this beautiful realm of community, I feel, which is also one of the reasons why I really like hanging out in internet land.
1: That is the thing that we deal with all the time is, what if somebody finds out that we're not perfect? What if somebody sees the footage on the cutting room floor? One of the things I share in the curriculum of the podcast reach system is a podcaster you become the voice of your audience. I like to share this story of a time that uh, I told off a bank teller using some fairly choice language, and mm-hmm. it was not my finest hour, and I would not recommend it to anybody, and I'm glad that I recognized what I had done and came back and, shall we say, fixed it. Now, the reason I share this story is simply because I don't want people to emulate me, uh, if they want to hey, if they want to have short-sighted views and condemn me for it that's fine but the reason i share it is because how many of us have had those situations that were just not our finest hour yes. and because and and we know it's because of something we did or a learning experience that we were going through it happens all of us it's how we learn we discover that if we don't have the ability to embrace that we also miss the opportunity to embrace the lessons and growth that come with it But due to societal constrictions and programming and the expectations we feel we have to live up to, we can't share the fact that that happened to us or that we did that. So we miss the opportunity for the growth. As a podcaster, as a host, or also as a guest, you can be the person who shares that. And by doing that, you become their voice. And they can hear you talk about that story. And they can say, you know what? Something like that happened to me. And they can align with you as a thought leader and join you in your journey and avail themselves to the opportunities for growth and the lessons to be learned from what happened to them Mm -hmm. without themselves necessarily having to reveal what it is.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And it's just by supporting, you know, kind of forgiving yourself through supporting others and working through that. Sometimes it sounds a little bit overdramatic, maybe, but traumatic events, you know, specifically when I think about entrepreneurs, business owners, we do have a lot of risk. You know, very often we do investments and we trust in it completely. And when it goes wrong, it is always traumatic because right. when you believe in something so deeply, your heart gets broken when it doesn't work out. And I think sometimes we don't talk about that enough, you know, as to, it happens. And instead of feeling ashamed or maybe what where did I miss? You know, what did I miss? Am I too stupid to do this? Why is everyone else? You know, being successful with this method, why doesn't it work for me? I think it it's I do feel that it's getting more public, that more people start to share that roller coaster journey of not just the highest, but sometimes also, the lows without being like party poopers, you know, because we always learn something from it, but it is absolutely legit to have, you know, a moment where you just doubt it all.
1: A lot of us go through that. I've been there. I got to a place. I got to a place that happened last year where I became so frustrated with what I was working on. I notified my assistant that I was not going to be available for anything and to, uh, cancel my appointments for the next forty-eight hours and tell people I died if it made her feel good. And, <laughs> I, and I proceeded to get shit face drunk.
2: Sometimes that's the only thing that helps. I watch, you know, yeah, and
1: and, and, and,
0: movies, and and series. Yeah.
1: You know, what, I, what I share with people is burn through
0: it. Yeah,
1: and 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 and, and, and for those who follow my social media, know that I tell this story again and again. Uh, if you if you're feeling something, feel it. If you need to burn through it. Burn through it. If you need to take a flame, if you need to take a fucking flamethrower to this place, quote from that movie. uh, What was it? Now I can't remember the name of the movie. Uh, Okay, it was uh, it was the movie where Al Pacino played the blind ex marine, and I can't remember the name of it. it Oh, the the scent
2: of a woman
0: is it? The
1: scent of a woman. Yeah, this was this was from the speech he gave in the in the uh, assembly hall when his. Abe was on trial for vandalism. And, that, 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 that's when he, and that's when he said that. So my point is, if you are need, need to burn through something, take a flamethrower to it. Burn faster. Get it through. <laughs> so, so, so in my case, it was half a bottle of Captain Morgan, which is kind of surprising <laughs> when I tell this story because people know that I'm that person who will uh, be the only one who doesn't drink alcohol in a bar. And they'll say, "Come on, man, have a drink." And uh, mm-hmm. aside from the fact that I want to lecture them about how many ways they're being inappropriate by yes. doing that, I say I hold up my iced tea and I say, "I have a drink." And then I take a drink of it. Goes, Look, I'm drinking. What's your problem? But yeah, uh, but going to the main, but going to the main point, we have those feelings of doubt. We have those feelings of, you know, mm-hmm. why why is this not working? And then what compounds it? is this culture that expects us to be positive and successful and happy and grateful all the time Mm -hmm. doesn't leave room for when you really just want to spew every obscenity you know and make a few (laughs) new ones.
2: Yes, and just wallow, you know, (laughs) just have a good wallow.
1: Which is why I say take a flamethrower to it. Uh, You'll get Mm -hmm. there faster.
2: (laughs) I will keep that in mind.
1: Get it over with.
2: Next time I'm cocooning, I'm, <laughs> I'm yes. just going to cocoon faster
1: because the breakthrough follows the breakdown.
2: I agree. I agree. Yeah. And it always does, even if it's an even if it's knowing which direction not to take next time, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's all you need. And it takes a lot of courage. Takes a lot of courage to say no and to also, throw things overboard. Like sometimes, maybe you have planned something meticulously, or you know, or like you did before when you had all your telesummits summits planned. And sometimes you just know this is actually not it. Should I be doing it just because I've planned it all out? And sometimes it takes courage to actually say I'm going to throw it all overboard because it doesn't sit well with me.
1: Oh, I oh, I did them all. I still have all the recordings. I uh, <laughs> uh, it was just a matter I had to change the name.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise I would saying, I would
1: I, I wouldn't gotten buried I would have gotten buried algorithmically uh, by the brand name I chose and I simply, simply had to change one word.
2: Yeah. But I would just mean if someone has planned something out meticulously I think one message that I really want to get across is that you always have permission to change something or to not do yep. something. And I think that's also part of our culture you have to finish what you started that, no, you that don't. one sentence is yes, of course, you shouldn't give up immediately. But I honestly think if you're completely passionate about something, you won't do that anyway. Right. But finishing something just because your ego yeah. tells you to, that is a lesson that is going to cost you a lot of energy and a lot of money often too.
1: Or worse, if somebody else tells you, "Oh, you can't give up on this," or then they, or then they challenge your manhood, womanhood, adulthood, or whatever it is. If you uh, if you dare just give up on this, Uh, you're don't be a quitter.
2: Yes, and that is what. Yes.
1: (laughs) Say no to success.
2: Exactly, and that's why I love that you hinted towards masterminds in the beginning of the episode. Because I feel those spaces are sometimes where you are allowed to share these things, and people will not go. Oh, you cannot stop this, you know. And it's also one of the reasons why I wanted to curate those travel experiences for entrepreneurs in particular. Because first of all, you're somewhere else, you have a new perspective, but also you're away from your CFO, your COO, or your spouse or whoever is, you know. piping in when you take big decisions and you just focus on yourself. I think that is so important for everyone to take that time out and ideally be with peers who get it, you know, who also understand that it's not their place to chime in, but to just be there to listen, be a sounding board and support, and, you know, support wherever support is needed. That is magical. And masterminds, conferences, things like that, those are the places to find that I I find. Personally.
1: Yeah. Well, the fact is, is, you know, people will hide themselves for fear of being found out. There's that secret that they have, that other side of their life, that other element of their personality. Well, the fact is, you're not the only one who has layers. You're not the only complex person, and you're not the only freak. <laughs> exactly. In fact, in fact, you'll be pleasantly surprised how many people will actually understand and support you when you reveal these things. Uh, yeah. you know, the in many cases, they're actually going to have their own stories. So or they may say, you know, Christine, I just knew it. I knew it. <laughs> it's because of some, it was some vibe you were giving off all along. Now, your true friends, even if they don't agree, will support your life, liberty, pursuit, and happiness because they care for you and want the best for you. Yes. So my recommendation is you carefully cultivate. A council of ministers. It could be people in your mastermind. It could be a circle of friends uh, who you can call upon for consultations as needed. And this, um, mm-hmm. I usually recommend you have between fifteen and twenty, because uh, you'll bring want to bring in different people for different topics and different energies and yeah, different combinations. And uh, over time, you'll find that some folks either cannot be uh, counted upon to be there, in which case you just sort of uh, drift them off. Or you may find they can't be trusted. Let me define what I mean by trusted. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go blab your secrets. But what it means is that their response to it is going to be something that doesn't serve you in any way that is meaningful. In which case, all you do with them is just put them on the uh, need to know side. Yes. (laughs) That's all.
2: Exactly. it's, It's not
1: even anything personal. It's just a matter that that synergy is not there. I agree. I've had to do it. It's not a big deal. I
2: agree. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's really important, specifically, you know, when you do have a business anyway, the online world, well, we work from our own home most of the time. I think uh-huh. just a few of us have offices where we meet with people. And specifically now, when everyone is in their home office, but things, but it can become isolating. So I do agree that one tip is really to hone those things, because as we yes. grow, we change. A lot of people will not be able to relate. That's something you know, that I also tell people who endeavor to, you know, create their own businesses. It's just be aware this is a ride that will change you. And not everyone will change with you. It can be saying goodbye to some friendships that have been there forever because it's just suddenly it doesn't click anymore. Yep. and i I like to imagine it like a clockwork where, you are moving, and the whole rest needs to move with you. And sometimes that's just not possible. You know, some pieces will work with you very well, others will just stay stuck. And that energy that you will try to make them move is just not worth it. it doesn't mean that you have to be resentful or anything like that. But sometimes cutting people out, which sounds a little bit drastic, but just taking some distance from people who used to be closer to you is actually really a great step to take. And that can be challenging specifically for people pleasers as well, I feel.
1: Yeah, I I know what you mean. So let's uh, bring some things together here because there's a couple of stories I know you want to share with us that I think are going to be part of the aha moment value <laughs> for our listeners today. And everything we've shared has been kind of a theoretical and philosophical build up to this. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned to me before we got started here that you changed the pricing of a package you had and it was the same package mm-hmm. from $800 to $7,000 within a day and mm-hmm. sold the same amount of spots and all you did was change your mindset and make a decision. So yeah. tell us about that one. I mean I can see 800 to 950 but 800 to 7,000 and it yeah. was the same offer And you made the same number of sales, please share with us.
2: Yeah, that was eye-opening. So as I embarked on that journey that I just described, you know, when you change, (laughs) one of the big elements that made me change was facing my finances. Um, so it before that I had a paycheck, you know, I never really worried, everything was fine. And becoming an entrepreneur, you know, I just didn't face my finances. I had no clue. I didn't know how much I was spending a month. I didn't know how much I needed to make in a year in order to be able to cover all my expenses monthly once, daily once, yearly once. And it really kept me from, from I would really say, from taking my business seriously. And I see that happening with my clients as well. So I got a financial coach. And one exercise that we did, and it was painful, and I do it with my clients now, every time actually, is that we really wrote down everything I spent over the previous year. So I went through every bank statement, looked at all the bills, and I could phase my numbers. I actually knew how much I needed to make. And I figured out that together with my business expenses, I at the time, I needed to make around 8000 a month. Like living costs are super high over here. It's an expensive place to live. And obviously that will be different from person to person. But it was clear that for me and my lifestyle, I couldn't rake in 10 new clients every month delivering what I was delivering. It was really eye-opening. So it wasn't emotional. It was really facing my numbers and understanding Christine, this is your job. This is your income. You want to create a life for yourself. You want to make sure your daughter's taken care of. You can take care of your family if anything happens. And I looked back at everything I was providing and I became much more confident. I was just like, okay, I don't, I I was a little bit traumatized because I had invested high ticket, you know, a higher amount into coaching, where I was disappointed. So subconsciously, I realized that I was thinking if I charge a lot, I will be a fraud just like those people that I had worked with. But once I got rid of that, once I understood that, and I was like, no, actually, what I deliver is awesome, I was just like, this is my new price, and I'm going to test it out. And so the next person that I talked with on the phone, I literally went the same conversation that I had with all my previous you know, leads or you know, sales prospects. And at the end, I just said the new number instead of eight hundred. I just said seven thousand. And she paused for a second, and then she was okay. And I was just okay. <laughs> this is it. This is this is the price tag. And interestingly, I looked at the numbers of conversions, and just as many people said yes and no towards my new pricing as to the eight hundred dollars that I charged before. So that was a huge, huge learning moment because it made me understand that very often, very, very often, it has nothing to do with a price tag, whether someone is investing in you or not. Obviously, you can already direct a little bit of that process during on how you present yourself, on what you rev- if you whether you reveal your pricing on your websites and things like that. But it wasn't even about that. It was a lot of people who got in touch with me had no idea, even if it would have said it on the website, what I was charging. And it really it really didn't have anything to do with the price tag in the end at all. I really realized that through looking at numbers again. And I never went back ever since then. I never went back into charging low ticket unless it was something where my personal time was not involved, you know? So when I offer of course, obviously, it's going to be cheaper. um, But anything where my personal time is involved, or that means that I need to spend time in getting new clients, for example, or getting out there for people to find me rather, I don't like the word finding clients. I don't believe in that. I really believe that you invest time in shining your light to be found. As soon as that is involved, then I charge higher ticket. As soon as someone gets yeah. to have me collapse time for them, it's no. And it's also reasonable. It's just like, this is what I need to make. So mm-hmm. my formula was always that I have one offer where I just have to sell one a month in order to cover all my monthly expenses. And I've stuck to that ever since.
1: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct about something uh, that when it comes to putting your own time into it, that becomes... Valuable. The podcast reach system. Uh, if somebody participates in the elite levels at uh, what we call the connect level, which is our mid-range, it's a very pretty significant investment. It takes about 90 days to get the podcast launched realistically. But then I hear, "Well, I can pay 4.95 and I can get my podcast done in a weekend." Okay, yeah, you'll get your anchor FM station that nobody will ever tune into, and you'll record that one episode on your iPhone, and that's it. But where's your branding? Where's your portal that will allow you to control your, your search engine futures? Uh, how is it your key networking client attraction celebrity expert branding tool? How are you using this to create multiple backlinks and search engine results on your keywords? How are you using it to tap in to your guest key phrases and drive their visitors to your website? Uh, how are you using this to attract sponsors? And I don't mean people who pay uh, a quarter for every thousand clicks on the banner end. I mean people who hand you $25,000. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's what you get here. If, however, you just want to get your podcast done quickly and check off the box, and yeah, go do your Build your podcast in the weekend. I have friends who run programs like that, so I'm not putting them down per se. I'm just saying it's for a particular audience, and it's not my audience. Exactly. Now, exactly. Another, now, another tale I had is um is I can't remember exactly what the initial topic was, but this was in the discussion group a few years ago, and uh, and somehow it came to somehow I ended up saying or sharing that I have this one client who has told me that he would like to pay me enough that I would get rid of all my other clients.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: okay, so I, so I said, well, there's, a, there's, a, there's an answer to that too. $5 million for a year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, why would I say that? It's because I would be putting the brakes on all my other business growth.
2: Exactly.
1: I would not be able to diversify at all. I would, ha- I would be at the service of one client and have to deal with all of it. All my eggs would be in one basket. And yes. what if he dies or what if I die? Yeah. A lot of and variables out there. And, and then after the year is up, let's say that uh, after a year, we decide that's enough then I got to go out there and I got to rebuild again. Now, yes,
0: exactly. rolling,
1: rolling off a case study of just having worked with a $50 million client and increased their revenues by 24%, that's a hell of a case study. I'm going to get clients like that. That's not a problem. Uh, but the thing is, I'm still going to have to go through it. Now, exactly. of course, within that thread, you got that one person that said,
0: what do you do? It's so amazing. It's worth $5 million.
1: <laughs> like, uh, I wanted to say your mom. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, 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 no. It was, uh, it was uh, some. It was, uh, but I, I didn't even bother to explain directly. No, but that is the answer. It's the opportunity cost. And once you get yourself involved in it, this would have involved me putting everything I'd built on hold. And there's a price for
2: that. Exactly.
1: And, and, and for me it's... to, have, and for me have that level of commitment to another person's organization would be something. Now. When I told him the five million dollars, he said, "All right, I'll work on it." (laughs) And that and that that remains his answer. He's still working on it.
2: There we go. Why not? I mean, and then it would sure you would be able to somehow, you know, batch something. You could decide when to start and all these things. It's all doable. But I think it's also that people are so used to a brick and mortar kind of hourly rate. That it can, it is a different world. It's just different. It's just not the same as if you go and have a brick and mortar massage or if you know something like that. It's just different. But at the same time, we don't question luxury price tags, for example. Like I love luxury. It's literally in the how many words you can say in your Instagram bio. It says luxury because I love it. And you don't go into a Hermes or Cartier or Louis Vuitton store, and you start to haggle. It's just the price tag. That's just it's just a number, and I feel we so- we really have to get detached from that. Um, and ultimately, it has a lot to do with. Obviously, you need to deliver. I think right. that goes for itself but when you know that stop being so emotional about it which is easier said than done absolutely but I think it's the first real talk that you need to hear and then you can go digging and really go into the emotions that make you feel so attached person your personal value attached to your price tag.
1: Personal value attached to your price tag is key. And what I what I tell people is, don't discount your prices. Add value. No. So 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 yeah. Everything in life is a negotiation, one way or another. It's a negotiation. So if you find the need to quote unquote haggle on price, don't compromise on your price. Find some way to add some additional value to it. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a situation earlier this year, and this this was actually very helpful to me from a cash flow perspective, and. Somebody came to us and wanted to participate in our Reach Rocket program. And uh, you know, at the time, that was $4,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gone up since then. Now, I told them, all right, so I see that the reason you want to do this overhaul of your podcast, which is what Rocket's about, it's about the overhaul process, is that you have a thing you're starting in 45 days and you want to do not only a podcast update but a bit of a brand update. Now I can tell you that for what you're investing in, you can uh, you know, you'll get it and we'll do it good and fast. How would you like it good and really fast? I said, "Uh what does that mean?" It means another $2,500. Well, their main their <laughs> yeah. main que- their main question was, "Uh do I just uh, have you charge my credit card again?"
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's be, the way be, it
1: should be because guns. because because I had already done an assessment of them, where I determined that their value was speed.
2: Exactly, and that's what we should always have. Like you should always have a back pocket offer that you can sell quickly without fuss, without a super long sales page with a gazillion copy elements in there.
0: Yeah,
2: and that's what everyone should have is a back pocket offer that is collapsing time even faster and more efficiently because that's what we pay for or it's at least just like you said or like what I feel you prefer as well that's the people that I love to work with and maybe it's because I work like that like when I have the offer of a VIP package or something like that I always go for that like literally I'm not the person who goes with payment plans and I'm conscious enough to say that I prefer people who think like me who are like me because it makes my life much easier
1: right now i've seen cases where if you actually let's say you're in a situation where you can't afford to give let's say you christine the amount of money you need uh let's say there's a high ticket offer like seven thousand dollars you don't have uh and uh, you know, there's a difference between paying you $7,000 up front. And I'm just making this up. I don't know if this is mm-hmm. your real numbers or three payments of that equal like 8,500. Well, mm-hmm. what I counsel people to do, if they're in a position to do this, and I say, if you're not in a position to do this, modify things. So you get there is keep a business credit card open. Yeah. You know, maybe run a hundred dollars through it every other month, just to keep it alive. Mm -hmm. Keep it open and have like a $15,000 available balance. And Mm -hmm. what you do is you use that credit card, that business credit card, to give Christine the $7,000 right now. And then you log into your control panel for that credit card and set it up to charge your bank accounts those three payments you otherwise would have made Christine. Now, you've paid up front like a baller. And you've managed your cash flow with a convenient payment plan all in the same process.
2: That is a really, really good idea. I really enjoy that.
1: Because for for some people, it's not a matter that they uh, don't appreciate value. They don't appreciate massive action. It's just that the cash flow isn't there. Exactly. So that's a way to put the cash flow there. Oh, at the same time, you get another credit card payoff out of the deal. Great for the credit rating.
2: Yes. That is something that's a little bit different here in Europe. You wouldn't be able to just pay wow. back a little bit a month. You kind of have to pay everything back each month. But for the US, I think this is a beautiful, a great solution, very smart solution. Yeah.
1: Well, if you're European, open a United States subsidiary.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean
1: <laughs> and, and, and I'm actually not joking about that because I do know I do know European businesses that partner. With American companies, where the American company will carry the fiduciary duty specifically for that reason,
2: I can imagine because it's 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 not doable here, and it makes total sense, so yeah, no, I can totally imagine that,
1: yeah, yeah, so uh, going along with that, another thing you wanted us to cover here is um you know we covered uh, that whole thing about that jump, and you've explained to us, and we've had a conversation about why it's so important not to undercharge, but then. There's a question of how do you do it without feeling like a greedy monster? Because we've been let me <laughs> let me let me segue here real quick. Do you remember that movie from 1987 called Wall Street?
2: Yes, I've seen it once. The one yeah. with um, what's his name? Well, Christian Michael. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, no, not Christian Bale. You had Michael Douglas. You had Daryl Hannah. You had uh, Charlie Sheen, Sean Young. Uh, and Michael Douglas played this character named Gordon Gekko, who's a corporate raider. No, I don't
2: think I've seen that version now.
1: Okay, well, uh, he gave a speech, and it was at a shareholders meeting, one of the companies he was rating. And there are a lot of people out there who think that during that speech, he said that greed is good. Because of how they edited the actual footage for promos and demo reels. He never said greed is good. He said greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Yeah. That's a a modifier. It is. We we are taught so many different ways not to be quote unquote greedy. And many times those lessons then segue into, well, it means you shouldn't be ambitious. You shouldn't be successful because that's just a form of greed. Exactly. Well, when you say greed for lack of a better word is good, you allow that greed for life Greed for love, greed for success. These are the things that drive us to be successful. And the fact is, there is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and satisfaction of ego is part of success. Absolutely, and 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 that's all well and good. So, folks will sometimes be afraid to charge what they want to charge, or need to charge, or should charge because of their value, because. They've been told, well, don't charge that much. That's greedy. That's
2: greedy. You should so be do, humble. So, so
1: how yes. do we do that without being greedy
0: monsters?
2: So I have some practical tips here, like really practical yes. ones. And number one is that be very mindful of your profit margin. Keep your profit and take half of it for scholarships or for philanthropy, something like that. That's what I do. Um, I support charities with half of my profits, only animal charities, because I don't like humans that much.
0: <laughs> and,
2: um, but I also know some of my clients who take it to open scholarships when they open a program where people can apply so that it's not, oh I can't, I don't have the money, but where they really have to justify and which makes amazing clients. And at the same time, You don't have to feel like a piece of crap for denying people access to you. So I feel those are two amazing things. And then the third thing, which anyone should do anyway, is to have some place that is more affordable where you offer your knowledge, whether that is your blog, your podcast, a book, maybe a pre-recorded course. That can be affordable. It just needs to be very clear again that when your time is involved, that is not accessible for everyone. So those are the three things that I would keep in mind, because then you don't have excuses. People have the chance to work with you, and you serve even more by creating a higher profit because you can give back more. So very often, that helps a lot.
1: You can serve so much more from an overflowing cup than by giving your last dime. Absolutely. I think of that. I think of that parable in the Bible of the of the uh, of the shivering, desperately broke old woman who gave her last coin, and somehow her donation was more valuable than the wealthy merchants who gave like cupfuls of gold. Yeah. And I think, are you effing kidding me? Yes. <laughs> there's no. There's no. There's no nobility in poverty. There's, exactly no re- there's no reason there's no reason she should have been that desperately broke. And no, she shouldn't have been giving her last coin. She should have been figuring out how to get coins far as far as the wealthy merchants, well, good for them that they were giving back, yes, because them giving back helped people like the old lady who was desperately broke
2: exactly. And it's not and that's that.
1: how and that's actually how it should be. There's no nobility in poverty. There's no, 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 no. And take that from from someone who's been poor.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. And there's also no shaming into people who have a lot of money. You know, that's also, don't do that. (laughs) Just don't do that.
1: Right. Um, Yeah. So going back to something you said earlier, you know, I found myself in a I can't remember exactly where you made the related point, but I found myself in this fix for a while uh, where due to some changes in how credit and banking worked over here, I went from having money thrown at me to being treated like a criminal for having the temerity to go to a bank and apply for a loan after they suggested I apply for the loan. <laughs> and for seven years, I was caught in this trap where I could not get out of the crush that credit card debt was putting upon me, both business and personal hmm. So I I shared this with a couple people. Uh, one of them told me, "Well, forget about the credit cards; just put them all on minimum payments." And I said, "That's what I've been doing for eight years."
0: <laughs>
1: not, I'm not coming. I'm not coming to you with this because I'm happy with that. And then somebody else told me, "Have you actually looked at your credit ratings?" And I said, "Well, no." So I went and I pulled my detailed credit reports. I thought I was I thought I was bent over, but actually my ratings were good except for excessive utilization of revolving credits. Now, how do you solve that? Private funding. I went and got me some, and that opened all the doors. Yeah. Now the thing is, is I did receive some funds that were supposed to be used for um, paying off credit cards. I paid off enough to get my to get my utilization down so to raise my score to where it needed to be to open doors where lenders would be interested in me again. But then I held the rest of the money and just let it sit there. And why did I do that? Because it just felt good after all those years knowing that there's money in the bank.
2: I and agree. that
1: feeling of having money in the bank.
2: I agree. I panic yeah. a little bit. That's my money mindset. Mm-hmm. As soon as I go below fifteen thousand, like I always need to have a minimum, a bare minimum, Uh of fifteen thousand in the bank account, or I seriously get heart attacks. Like I get anxiety. Right, right, and
1: and just know, and just knowing that, even I mean, like even if you know that you've spent a bit more than you should lately, or you've taken a little bit of a hit, you know that you're okay, and you know that even without having to study too closely, just go out there and get another seven thousand dollar client, and you're back where you need to be.
2: Exactly, and that all depends on and how not much haf- time and, you put yeah, in.
1: and not having to worry about it frees you.
2: Exactly, yeah. I agree.
1: Yeah, a, ta- a tactic, and um, and again, I'm not being political here. I'm just stating facts. This is a Donald Trump success tip. Whenever you go into a business meeting, have a wad of cash in your pockets. Yeah. <laughs> the re- the reason is very simple, because you have a bunch of money there. You feel like success. You feel like you're a success hmm. So, so regardless of how that deal goes down, you weren't broke coming in and you weren't broke going out um, even. Yeah. Yeah. During Trump's early days, when he first started the investments in Manhattan and he was living in a studio apartment uh, with the uh, equivalent of 13 million dollars he got from his dad, uh, he would, which in those days was a million dollars, even though he didn't really have that kind of cash like he did later on. Uh, he would still go to the bank, take out a wad of cash before he went to negotiate buying a building. Yeah. Simply because it was that feeling of, I got it. So it's the same thing as having that amount. Your amount is $15,000. My number is a little bit different, but my number is also spread across three different accounts. I need each of these three different accounts to be at a minimum of a certain level. And if one dips, then I say, okay, all right. So what do I do? I go get a $7,000 client. Exactly. Done. Okay, I'm good again.
2: Exactly. But if you're worried, if you're worried, if you're
1: worrying if you're going to go into overdraft mode, yeah, you ain't going to have the confidence.
2: No, and I feel you can do this with different things. You can use it with cash. I also like to do it with clothing, like ridiculously expensive underwear is my thing. Yep. Because that is the epiphany of ridiculousness if you think about it. Like if you buy, for men it's different, but for women, if you buy a really nice pair of matching underwear. You're at three hundred bucks, you know, for oh yes, you are just a little bit of tissue and or fabric in the uh-huh. end, and that to me is like when you can wear that when you go to a business meeting or when you have a public speaking gig or something like that, it's knowing that, knowing that that is the value yep. that is one of my favorite hacks that I do yeah. before speaking gigs, mainly,
1: yeah, a few months ago, i uh, went through professional image consulting, and I also had my wardrobe completely rebuilt. And, um, and we're pretty much out of time here, but I'm just going to say this. There is a big difference between a $160 pair of jeans where you've had them tailored to taper them to create the slimming effect versus the $20 ones you get somewhere that are all baggy at the bottom and make you feel like you're dragging when you're walking.
2: Yes. Absolutely. So I
1: get it completely. And uh, <laughs> and I'm gonna and I'm gonna finish this off with a success tip I got. Um, see, we covered Obama, we covered Trump. Let's do Armin Morin. Okay, so my <laughs> friend Armin Morin. Um, his he was told back when he was a vacuum cleaner salesman in the early days: spend twice as much on your clothes, buy half as many, focus on timeless styles that support your body type, whatever it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that advice has served me well over the years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we are actually pretty much out of time, but I do want to tell our listeners that you uh, really should visit Christine Hansen's website. And it's a very, very cute URL. It's www.christinemeansbusiness.com.
2: There
1: you go. <laughs> please check that. Please check that out. Uh, It's a really fun website. I'm actually on it right now in a separate browser tab. Uh, You're going to see that uh, you're going to see all kinds of things. Uh, You're going to see videos. You're going to see information. Now, you told us in closing here, you have a book coming out soon?
2: Yes. So we're recording this at the beginning of January. And at the end of January, the 25th of January, I'm launching the book that is called We Mean Business.
1: We Mean Business.
2: We Mean Business. And it's all about online business structures, strategies, but also personal health, mindset health, mental health, how to stay sane on this roller coaster of joy, basically. So that will be available, hopefully forever on Amazon or any good bookstore. And yeah, so check it out. And you should always be able to find it through my website.
1: Absolutely. (coughs) Now, by the time somebody may be listening to this, because it'll be around for a while, it's possible that book will already be out, and by which time I would have read it and probably be raving about it. But once again, we're going to send you to Christine's website at www.christinemeansbusiness.com. And with that, Christine Hansen, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, And believe me, in education.
2: Thank you, Adam. It was an absolute honor, and thank you for your trust with your audience.
0: Okay. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show.